Hello, hello, and welcome to the Dear Nikki podcast, where I do everything in my power to not spend the entire time talking about Halloween, which is literally tomorrow. How am I not going to talk about this for 30 minutes? (laughs) Halloween is tomorrow. It's tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yay. Anyways, the Dear Nikki podcast is not about Halloween as much as I would love to have a Halloween podcast. It's not about Halloween. It's about me answering your user research questions and giving you as much advice about any sort of situations you find yourself in, any career struggles, any difficult conversations with stakeholders, really anything under the user research sun. And I answer all of those questions that you have to give you as much advice as I possibly can. So not Halloween, but user research. I got to... I got to get that in my mind. Anyways, one other thing that's occurring right now is that my cat Remy is in the office with me. She doesn't usually come up here. She, I tried to kick her out and she just wouldn't hear it. So she is milling around. Currently, she's looking to leave, which is quite a bummer because I can't open the door from where I'm sitting. So I apologize in advance if you hear some purring, meows, or some walking around because now I don't know where she is. (laughs) My office isn't that big. But anyways, just wanted to say Remy Remy is here for this podcast episode. She's she's super, super cutie. Uh, So today's topic that we're going to talk about is not Halloween. I know that's hard to imagine. It might as well be about Halloween, but it's not. It is still a spooky subject, right? And what we're going to talk about today is a particular that I question, a question that I got that asked me, what do you do when you have a limited customer base to recruit from for user research? So that was the question. It wasn't really too much context behind the question that I can share with you, but I feel like the question in and of itself makes sense and I'm excited to kind of dive into this particular subject. So kind of what you're what you're supposed to do when you're talking to the same users repeatedly and don't really maybe have the chance to talk to additional users for whatever reason, right? So I have firsthand experience with this. So the first role that I was in for user research was at a hospitality startup, right? And it was in New York City and it was amazing. I loved it. I had such a fun time there. It was actually, yeah, it was super fun. So it was in New York City. It was a startup. It was a small company. And we didn't have a vast user base, right? We were still just getting started within the scope of getting out there in front of different users and getting different customers. And so we also were new to user research completely. I mean, I was new to user research. The organization was new to user research. So it's not like we had a lot of tools or budget for talking to users, right? And since we were in New York City, a lot of the sales team, while they were, you know, around America, you know, and they had different, different kind of regions that they were in charge of, a lot of our customers, which again was a small amount, were in New York City, right? So what happened was we did a lot of our user research, if not all of our user research, I can't I can't say that for certain, but I want to say it 
pretty much all of our user research was based on customers that we had in New York City. And it wasn't all of our customers in New York City because some of our customers weren't particularly relevant for the user research that we were doing, either because they weren't fully onboarded onto the platform or there was there was something odd going on with them, right? Or they didn't want to talk to us. So not only were we limited to people in New York City, but we were limited within the people in New York City that we talked to and that we could talk to. So for this particular role, I I did uh, what was cool about it is because I was also of course living in New York City, I did a lot of field studies. So I learned about ethnographic research, so contextual inquiry, let's say, or be just being more comfortable in person and observing users and having them walk me through their workflows and understanding their context and environment. I got really familiar with that pretty quickly, which I think was a very positive thing for my career. But of course, that meant that we were talking only to a handful of users repeatedly, right? So I'm trying to think of how many and it wasn't it was, I I don't want to say users because sometimes we would go to a hotel and there would be two users that we were almost talking to at once, right? Because we would go and we would observe and talk to them in C2, so while they were on the job, and we would observe them on the job. So I, if if I were to tell you how many actual individual people we spoke to, it would sound a lot more than what, what it was that we actually had in terms of resources. So I think instead what I'm going to say is we had about seven, eight, maybe nine hotels that we would bounce around. And so what that meant is we were talking to the same people over and over again, like the same hotels over and over again. And, you know, because it was my first role as a user researcher, I wasn't really as thoughtful or intentional about or concerned about the fact that we had such a limited customer base to recruit from. And I wasn't as concerned about the fact that we were essentially talking to like, let's say like 15 or 20 people (laughs) for, for everything, right? And basing the future of the product, the strategy, the next steps, the features, the improvements, the innovations off of these 15 or 20 people, right? So, you know, I wasn't as concerned about that. And it almost wasn't until retrospectively or like kind of towards the end of my time in that particular organization that I was thinking, huh, I think we should talk to different people (laughs) slash more people and get a more varied and diverse perspective. But you know what? To be completely honest, and maybe this is a bad thing to say because what I don't want to – what I'm not trying to say here is if you have access to a, a varied and diverse participant base, it's okay to talk to the same people over and over again. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that sometimes as user researchers, especially in companies that might be startups, so they might not have a huge customer base for us to recruit from, or we might not have the tools or budget to properly recruit 
a, a varied participant base. Sometimes we have to do our best within the constraints that we are and with the resources that we have. And sometimes those resources can be less than we wish we had, but hey, here we are and we need to work with this, right? And so I'm actually quite glad that I didn't let it get to me too much at that time that we were kind of talking to the same participants over and over again. Because if I'm being completely honest, because we were in such a early stage in the product, there was a lot that we could learn from those participants, right? So we were actually in an okay stage within the organization to have a limited participant base. This gets a lot harder the further you scale your product and the more people who use your product, right? This was B2B. It was hospitality. We were specific we 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 were specifically focused on concierge. We did have products for hotel engineers, for housekeeping, for the front desk. Those were all separate kind of products. We also had a product that I now that I think about it, it's I can't believe that I never did research on this, but we had a product for people who stayed in the hotel to communicate with the concierge. (laughs) Never did research on that. Never did research on the B2C side of that (laughs) entire product. But hey, that's all right. But it it was a B2B product and it was niche in the fact that it was concierge and we were really established primarily in New York City with some other areas that we were established in. And the company was growing and is now fairly successful, I think. I, I haven't I haven't read up too much on them, but I think that they're pretty successful now. And so, but where we were, it didn't really matter too much that we didn't have a hugely diverse participant panel because, again, the information that we were learning from our limited customer base was helpful information. That would have been harder if we were a B2C company who is, you know, selling books online and we only were talking to like 10 people, right? Because that's a much broader participant base that you that you that your product is in. Like your product selling books online can apply to so many more different people than our B2B concierge-based hotel product, right, that we were that we primarily had in New York City. So one thing that I will point out is the level of concern to have about this problem, right, is really dependent on the context of your organization. So before getting too worried about that, if you're in a similar situation to what I I'm talking about, right? So this small company with this niche product that is still a bit in its infancy, if that's where you are, having a limited participant base is not the worst thing in the world. Right? You're still going to learn from people. And as you scale the business, right? So as the business scales, you should be scaling your participant base essentially, to include new people or to include people who could potentially be your users, right? So first and foremost, really look at where you are and where your organization is in terms of kind of 
the structure of the organization, the infancy of the organization, and the niche of the organization, right? So again, are you looking at a full-blown company that's pretty established that has a, B, a wide B2C market and you're only talking to 10 people, not great. Are you a new company that isn't as established a bit in its infancy? B2B has a niche kind of audience, small user base, kind of makes more sense. But that's not an excuse not to scale it. As the biz- as I said, as the business scales, your your participant base should scale as well. But what if you are in a situation in which either you are at a more established company that should have a bigger participant base or you're feeling that you want to talk to a more varied set of users or you're just still concerned about the limitations that you have with who you're speaking to, no matter what what that is, I do have some different kind of tips and tricks that I have used whenever I have been in this situation. So that particular situation where I was in that B2B startup, that wasn't the only time that I've had limited customer base. I've had a limited customer base in another bigger organization where we should have had a more varied and diverse and larger participant base to choose from, right? But we but we didn't more so due to budget and tooling than anything else. So in that case where it was a concern for me and where I wasn't as comfortable, I did a few things to try and make it as good as I possibly could. Like unfortunately, and and I did this, like I paid for participants out of my pocket. Like I recruited participants and paid for them out of my pocket, which I am not saying you should do. In fact, I'm saying, please don't do that. That's hugely terrible, right? You should not be having to do that. But that is the level of concern that I had in this particular situation, right? But there are other things that we can do. But I will say there is also a limit, right? And my limit should have been before I recruited and paid for participants, right? That should have happened. I should have hit my limit before that. So we are we we do have a lack of control to a certain degree. So all of the things that I am recommending, if you've done them and you're still kind of hitting against these walls and not able to expand your participant base and you're really concerned about that, then it's really time to have a conversation with somebody about finding ways to unblock yourself higher up because it's really great when we try and unblock ourselves and it's even more gratifying when we're able to unblock ourselves and we don't need to involve managers or anybody above our managers, right? Executive levels or senior leadership. It's really great when we don't have to involve those people. But there is a certain point at which if you've exhausted all of your options for trying to unblock yourself and you've hit your limit, then you do have to go and see if somebody else can help you. And if they can't help you, there are two things that you can do. The first thing is to accept the situation that you're in and do your best to work around your constraints with some of these tips that I'm going to give you. Or the other option is to say, this is really hurting my learning experience and my craft and to start looking for a different opportunity, right? 
those are the two situations. And I know it's a it's 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 easier said than done, but what I've started to learn as I navigated through my career is those really are the two options. It's either accept your situation that you're in and do your best within it or find a new situation to be in. And again, easier said than done, but it will take a lot of weight off of you when you look at it through that slightly more objective and simplified lens. But before we get to <laughs> before we get to that point, let's talk about some tips that I have used in the past when I've had a limited customer base and limited participant base to pull from. So the first thing is is looking through your participant base, right? Looking through the participants that you have access to, do your best to try and make every study as diverse as possible, right? So what what does that well, not not every study, but try try and make it so that your studies are diverse, right? So that you're not just talking as much as you can to the same five participants over and over again. If you have like, let's say 15 to talk to, make sure that you're properly rotating throughout your participant database as much as you possibly can. Even if it is a limited base, make sure you are doing your best to cycle through them as much as possible. Right? And so (laughs) one thing that can be either really, really great about a limited participant base or really, really terrible is that either everybody is the same or everybody is different. (laughs) Those have their own two problems. Everybody being the same means that you're getting a huge lack of diversity in exploring problem areas or pain points or needs or goals or innovation, right? Having everybody be different sounds better, but actually is quite difficult because your insights are going to tend to be a lot more scattered. Because if you think about the rule of, let's just take usability testing to make it easier, five participants per segment. Well, what if you don't even have people to segment? (laughs) right? So what if you have either everybody's the same, then then that part becomes a little bit easier because then you're like, all right, well, I have these five people who are exactly the same, so I guess that's my segment, right? But when you have everybody in your participant base, let's say 15 different people who are different from each other, right? Like you have, um, let's, let's, let's make it easier. A segmentation option would be, you know, small businesses versus medium businesses versus large businesses versus enterprise businesses, right? And you're trying to talk to people in one particular segment. So, you know, a small business and you only have two of those. And then you have, you know, three people who are in a medium-sized business, four people who are in, you know, a large business, two other people who are in an enterprise, right? So you couldn't even get to those five to that minimum of five if you wanted to because everybody in your small participant base is different. So what do we do, especially if that's the case? We need to do our best with triangulating data from other sources, right? And what does this look like? It means pulling things like customer support tickets or uh, account management uh, conversations that people are having uh, or, you know, looking at any other data that we have, like usage data on our platforms. So pulling data from as many different places as we possibly can. You, I also highly recommend pulling data from any desk research or secondary research that you can do. So for instance, a huge thing that I had to do when it came to the 
hospitality platform that I was working on is I did a lot of desk research. So I did a lot of secondary research where I was looking up, you know, what is it like to be a concierge? you know, and and reading white papers on the hospitality industry, reading white papers on concierge, reading white papers on platforms. I did a lot of secondary research as well and competitive research on the different tools that were out there for concierge, right? So what I tried to do was if I couldn't talk to these people, right, especially enough of those people, what I did is I tried to find information elsewhere and utilize that in conjunction with talking to as many people as I could in my participant base. So let's go back to that particular example of, let's say we want to talk to small business owners and we only have two or three of them to talk to. Okay, cool. So, and we're we're a, um, let's say we're Etsy actually, you know, and we have um, – uh, small small business owners on Etsy <laughs> that we want to talk to, and we only have two or three. Maybe that's how they started. <laughs> Hopefully, humble beginnings. So, what we could do is we could say, okay, on our platform, you know, are we seeing? Is there anybody else who's you know using using this platform who we could categorize in this? as a small business owner that we could take data from, either from like customer support tickets or usage data to help triangulate, right, the information that we're getting from this limited customer, uh, limited participants that we can actually talk to. So we go out, we talk to our three participants from the small business, and then we look at something like, let's say we're on Google Analytics, and we look at our Google Analytics and try and understand which data might be coming from small businesses, right, and try and utilize and see like any usage data that might be that might be relevant and help to help us to further investigate what we heard from these three participants. We could also look at any customer support tickets. We could also talk to account managers who might talk to different participants that we can't get access to for whatever reason and see what's coming out of that, right? And then in addition to that, I would I would highly recommend doing any sort of market research. So getting any sort of papers or information that you can from from the interwebs, right? And utilizing that to build something like a literature review on the different topics, right? So not only and in it it is to be fair a lot more work because you're going to have to go to multiple sources and do multiple types of things in order to gather the information that ideally you would get just from talking to a normal participant base. Right. So instead of, okay, we have this big question about, you know, how small business owners navigate their online shops, right? And instead of just talking to 15 small business owners or 20 small business owners for one-on-one interviews to understand this, instead, because we only have access to three, we're going to talk to those three. We're going to go on to our Google Analytics and see if we can pull any usage data that helps us with understanding any of their behaviors more. We're going to go to customer support tickets to see if there's any pain points. We're going to go to our reviews to see if there's anything there. We're going to talk to account managers to see if they're getting anything. We could even talk to sales to see if they're understanding anything from a small business perspective. And then we're going to go online and we're going to search papers and try and do a literature review on this particular topic. So. It is tough and it is more work, but it does teach you to be super creative when you are faced with these kinds of constraints, right? 
Some other things that I would recommend doing is if it's possible, look outside your customer base, right? So I didn't do competitive research for a while. Like I did competitive analysis where I would look at the competitive product and, you know, uh, try and understand that product better and why they maybe made decisions or what they include in their product. So I did more of that competitive research. But what I didn't do for a really long time is actually talk to people who are using the competitive product to understand their particular experience. And if you're able to, that is a really, really great avenue because although it's not talking about your product, it's probably talking to a close equivalent, right? And you're able to understand from from their point of view, you know, what's going on with the competitor's product, what's going well, what's not going well, that's the best part. Because then you can take that back to your product and you can say, okay, based on our 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 kind of market or ideal customer base or potential customer base that isn't using our product but is using these other ones, these are the problems that they're having on these other products. If we could maybe solve some of those problems, our product might look better for them, right? So I would say looking outside your particular participant base, and and I know that this isn't always applicable if, for instance, you know, you don't have the tools or the budget to go and find these people. But if you do, and if you're you have other constraints, looking outside your your actual customer base to competitor customer bases is really, really fantastic. And it can bring you some really great insights. Whenever I've done competitor research, it's been so super fun to see what came out of that and what we could learn from looking at somebody else's product and having a walkthrough and learning what wasn't going right with that product and how that actually helped us enhance our particular product. And then finally, unfortunately, one of the last things that we can do, again, is is accept that we are in this situation and recognize the potential bias that can go into talking to the same people over and over again. So something that I didn't do that I should have done at that first organization when I was talking to essentially the same 15, 20 people over and over again is in my reports, I should have made it really clear, right? Hey, this is the same people again. Hey, this is the same people again. We are going to have biased results from our research because we are neglecting potential users, right? And we're only focused on one particular user base, which is these concierge in these particular hotels in New York City, right? So we were really hyper-focused on one segment. Therefore, we were missing potential improvements or features or innovations that could be helpful for people outside of that segment. And One thing that I will say is if you do this, if you recognize this bias and you call it out enough, one thing that you could eventually do is say, hey, business people, (laughs) don't actually call them that, but hey, senior leadership, are you looking to expand our user base and where, what kind of areas are we looking to expand to? What differences are we looking to, what different people are we looking to expand to? Different users, different groups, different segments, because 
who I'm talking to right now is this particular segment, but I'd love to get the tools and the budget that would allow me to talk to these other segments that you're interested in so that we can get insights about them and make sure that we're on the right path for everything, right? So that when we do open up to these different markets or when we do investigate these segments, we're better prepared with a product that resonates with them, right? So by actually recognizing the bias and calling it out, you could potentially open up the conversation for getting more budget, for expanding that that base and allowing yourself to look outside of whatever limited customer base you have right now and find ways either through recruitment agencies or through cold emailing or you know whatever it might be to go and find these other people that you want to eventually be your users, right? So that's a really interesting way to open up the conversation. I would say lastly, 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 the last thing that I always recommend doing, especially if you are limited in your participants, is snowballing. So anytime you talk to a participant, asking them if they have somebody that they recommend, this is actually how we expanded our network in New York City of hotels is I spoke to a few different hotels repeatedly. And eventually I asked them, hey, is there anybody else that you know works in concierge that I could talk to, even if they don't use our product, if they use a competitor product, right? That would be amazing. And I ended up being able to get some contacts and get in contact with people and start to expand our research because I was talking to people outside of our customer base, yes, and they weren't our users, but I was still able to talk to more people and get a diverse perspective. And then people started seeing, people within our organization started seeing how great those insights were. I mean, they weren't great because I was new, but they were different, right? So they were kind of exciting. It was like shiny (laughs) and new. And then we had conversations about opening up the budget more and getting, getting a more varied and diverse perspective. Right. So not all is lost if you have a limited customer base and you're having to talk to the same users repeatedly. Right. Really assess where you are and if that is in fact okay for the time being. And then what I would do is do your best to go and, you know, look at that base and and try and triangulate from other sources as much as you can. Do some secondary research, write a literature review on the topic, right? Look outside of your actual user base into competitors really and really hone in on that bias and try and open the conversation for opening up the different perspectives by expanding that participant base and always 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 whenever you can ask your current participants for recommendations to for other people that you could potentially talk to that would make sense right and if you can I'm not sure. We we didn't give incentives at this first organization outside of product discounts and then essentially they were our product roadmap. So <laughs> their recommendations and suggestions were kind of <laughs> our product roadmap. And so if you did have incentives, what you could do is you could give an extra incentive to people who recommend you to other people, right? So like a bonus incentive if you're able to. But anyways, I hope that that is helpful and gives you some ideas of how you can get creative with a limited participant base and still try and make it work, right? And and give yourself hope for expanding that in the future. But 
Oh, I did a whole episode without talking about Halloween, really, but I'm going to uh, – maybe I'll just do a podcast episode on Halloween tomorrow. <laughs> we shall see. All right. Anyways, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day, evening, morning, week, weekend, all the things. And I hope, again, that this was a helpful episode, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Happy Halloween. <laughs>